0: The case we talked about it before. How many years exactly? I I know it's been more than a decade, but I'm not sure how long we we started off having this in December. I remember and moved it to January, so it's been a long time. But I'm grateful to be a part of it again today. It's always a privilege to be here, and I like starting my year off uh, spending time with you here in this Bible conference. Not just preaching myself, but hearing others preach and sing, and it's a great time in the Lord. I'm looking forward to it. Are you? You believe God's going to say something to us in these days, I'm expecting that He will. 1 Chronicles chapter 28, we'll read beginning in verse 1 and read down together through verse 10, then my text will actually be briefer than that, but I want to set it in its context for you. Verse 1, and David assembled all the princes of Israel, the princes of the tribes and the captains of the companies that ministered to the king by course and the captains over the thousands, and captains over the hundreds, and the stewards over all the substance and possession of the king and of his sons, with the officers, and with the mighty men, and with all the valiant men unto Jerusalem. Then David the king stood up upon his feet and said, Hear me, my brethren and my people. As for me, I had in mine heart to build an house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord." and for the footstool of our God, and had made ready for the building. But God said unto me, Thou shalt not build an house for my name, because thou hast been a man of war, and hast shed blood. Howbeit the Lord God of Israel chose me before all the house of my father to be king over Israel forever. For he hath chosen Judah to be the ruler, and of the house of Judah the house of my father." And among the sons of my father, he liked me, to make me king over all Israel. And of my sons, for the Lord hath given me many sons. He hath chosen Solomon, my son, to sit upon the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. And he said unto me, Solomon thy son, he shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father." Moreover, I will establish his kingdom forever if he be constant to do my commandments and my judgments as at this day. Now, therefore, in the sight of all Israel, the congregation of the Lord, and in the audience of our God, keep and seek for all the commandments of the Lord your God, that ye may possess this good land and leave it for an inheritance for your children after you forever. And thou, Solomon, my son... Know thou the God of thy Father, and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searcheth all hearts, and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. Take heed now, for the Lord hath chosen thee to build an house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. You can obviously see that a transition is taking place in this text. David, God's servant, is about to die. In fact, it doesn't say it in these verses, but elsewhere regarding this period of time, David said to Solomon, I now go the way of all the earth, meaning I've come to the end of my life on this mortal plane. David knew his days were numbered and he was an old man about to die. And preparatory to his death, he gathered the leadership of Israel together and his own son, Solomon, and charged them with some specific instruction. And that's what I want to speak to you about this morning. The the verses that I'm going to preach on are the last two or three in the collection that I just read to you where the man of God, David, sums up really the essence of the Christian life in the most basic of terms. Now you may recall David is a man in Scripture described as after God's own heart. God said that about David. He said, he is a man after mine own heart. I was reading through a different translation of the Scripture last year and the translation that I happened to be reading at the time translated that phrase, a man after mine own heart, it translated like this, a man who shares my desires. Wouldn't that be something wonderful to have said of you today that you think like God thinks? That you want what God wants. That your ambitions and your goals are in harmony with his. Well, that was said of the man David. Now, David wasn't a sinless man. I'm sure you know enough of the Bible to remember the spectacular failure in David's life and the horrible consequences that came of his sin of adultery with another man's wife. Terrible circumstances, and I'm not minimizing that. But the overall testimony of David's life is that he was a man after God's own heart. And now this man is dying. And as he approaches death, he brings his own son in, as well as the leadership of Israel, and he says three things to them. I want you to notice the three words of instruction that David gave to Solomon. They are necessary in my life today as well, if I'm going to live the kind of life that honors God. First of all, David said, Solomon and Israel leaders, Israelite leaders, you have to settle the issue of obedience in your life. Now I want you to notice verse 8. Now, therefore, in the sight of all Israel, the congregation of the Lord, and in the audience of our God, and here comes word number one, instruction number one, keep and seek for all the commandments of the Lord your God. I'm using the word obedience to sum that up. I think it does so well. David's immediate concern, the first thing on the agenda for this old soldier of the cross who is about to go home to heaven and leave behind him others to carry on the work. He said the most necessary thing that you've got to get in place is an attitude of obedience to the Word of God, submission to what you know of God's Word. Now I want you to notice he uses two particular terms, keep and seek for all the commandments of the Lord your God. The word keep means to attend to something, to, to observe it carefully, to be on guard, to be watchful. In other words, the idea of keeping the commandments is make sure you're doing what you know to do of the Word of God. And then he adds this phrase, and seek for. I like the way he speaks of this. Keep means how I respond to what I already know of the Word of God. Seek for means I never stop growing. I'm hungry to learn more. I'm always pressing on and pressing in and seeking to learn more of the Word of God. You put these two phrases together, keep and seek for all the commandments of the Lord, and it describes the opposite of an attitude of apathy and willful ignorance. This is about having a heart that longs to know the Word of God so that I can not just understand it in my mind, but apply it with my life. Now this is the beginning place for real Christianity. This involves the fundamental recognition of who the Lord is and who I am in relation to him. Who am I in relation to the Lord? What place is he to hold in my life? He is the maker, I am the maid. He is the master, I am the servant. That fundamental attitude has to be in place. I was asked one night by a young lady in a revival meeting if that, that if I had to sum up Christianity and real spirituality in one word, what word would I choose? And I asked her to give me a night to think about it. I said, if you'll come back tomorrow, I'll give you an answer. But I don't want to answer that right off the cuff. She was a sober-minded Christian seemingly, and I wanted to give her a sober-minded answer. I said, let me think about that, and I'll, I'll respond to you tomorrow. And so over the evening, I considered words. What one word? If I had to wrap it all up in one word, what word would I choose? What would you choose if you were given that assignment? I considered words like faith. The Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God. I considered that. We must believe him, certainly. I considered love. The Bible says without love I'm nothing. I'm a sounding brass tinkling cymbal. I thought about how important love is to the gospel and to the word of God. And I considered other things like that. But when I came back to her the next night I said this is my pick of the litter. Obedience. Because you see obedience covers everything else. Why am I to believe God? Because I'm commanded to. So it makes it a matter of obedience, doesn't it? Why am I to love my enemies and love my neighbors myself and love the Lord with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength? Because I'm commanded to do so in the Scripture. That makes it a matter of obedience. Really, everything comes down to a submissive attitude that is willing to hear and obey the command of the Lord. A submissive spirit covers all the bases and compensates for all other deficiencies. When a person has an attitude of obedience toward the Lord, a submissive attitude that wants to keep and seek for the commandments of God, when a person has an attitude of submission, then they will not only be usable in the hand of the Lord Jesus, but they will find a sense of joy and fulfillment that only the truly surrendered can ever know. Jesus said in the Gospel of John chapter 13, If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. And that's simply the way it is. It's not the most intelligent. It's not the most educated. It's not the most beautiful or charming that God can do something with. It's the submissive soul. It's the individual who says, I am thine, O Lord. I have heard thy voice. I want you to do in my life whatever pleases you. Keep and seek for all the commandments of the Lord. The Scripture says... To obey is better than sacrifice. That means there's no amount of religious activity that I can engage in that will cover up for the fact that I'm disobeying the Word of God. Obedience is fundamental. The Bible uses the image of the potter and the clay often to emphasize the usable life, the life that God can bless. Like the lump of clay in the hand of the potter that is soft and moldable, submissive. The potter can form it into anything that pleases him. That's the picture of the godly man, the godly woman. We place our lives in the hand of the potter and we surrender, we submit, we make ourselves soft before him. We say, Lord, you shape me into whatever vessel pleases you best. That's the attitude of this text. Keep and seek for All the commandments of the Lord. When I become hard and resistant, when I begin to be rebellious, when I begin to be argumentative, when God speaks to me and he finds me arguing with him rather than submitting to him, then he has no choice but to set me aside is unusable. In order to be used of God, David knew that. That's why he said to Solomon and to those leaders of Israel, he said, first of all, if you're going to amount to anything for eternity, you've got to have an attitude of obedience. Soft, submissive, yielded to the word and the will of God. Keep and seek for. Do what you know you ought to be doing now and always learn. Keep learning, keep seeking, keep pressing on into the deeper things of the Lord. Well, obedience without this heart of obedience, without an attitude that honest to goodness wants to please God. Honestly, in my secret self, if I don't really want to please God with my life, to do His will and keep His word, well, then I'm never going to be of any real value for eternity. And more than that, I'm never going to know how good life can be now. But with an attitude of obedience, when I find my heart throbbing and passionate about being and doing what God wants me to, then fulfillment follows that self-esteem, significance, genuine self-esteem. I begin to be a part of something bigger than myself. I begin to fit into my assigned role in the universe. Well, God's first word, David's first word by the Spirit of God to the leadership of Israel and to his own son had to do with obedience. But he moves beyond that. It's not just a matter of cold obedience. There's also the passion of intimacy. I want you to notice verse 9. And thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father. I'll use the word intimacy to speak of this. Obedience first, then intimacy. The idea of knowing the God of thy father. The word translated know in this text is a word of deep intimacy, personal relationship. It is a word that was used in the Old Testament in the Hebrew language to speak of a man's relationship with his wife that produced children. Deep intimacy. There's no more intimate word in all of the Hebrew language than this. You see, when the Bible speaks about knowing God in this text, it's talking about first-hand knowledge. It's not something that you gain from going to Sunday school classes and reading the literature or tasting sermons or or going to church and listening to others speak of Him. It's something that requires personal acquaintance with the Lord. One-on-one encounter with Him. Time spent in His presence alone, seeking His face in prayer and in His Word. Experience the Lord is a good way to translate that. Some of you may have a Bible that says that. Solomon, my son, experience the God of thy father. Get to know him personally. That intimacy is the issue at hand. Now, first of all, the big concern David had was for obedience. Because if you don't recognize the lordship of the Lord and your servanthood before him, if you have an argumentative and rebellious spirit, that's the end of the story. You can go no further. But if you get in place the attitude of obedience, then following hard on the heels of that is the issue of intimacy. Because you see, beloved, the God of the Bible has revealed himself as someone who loves us personally and wants to have a deeply intimate relationship with us. Our God is not a far-off deity who demands blind obedience from us. He does expect obedience. He has every right to expect that we have an attitude of obedience toward Him, but He does more than expect obedience. The good news of the gospel is that the God who made us, made us for Himself. The Holy One, against whom all of us have grievously sinned, is also the Father who loves us, the Savior who died for us, the Holy Spirit who woos us and calls us unto himself. To be right with God requires not just an attitude of obedience, but an attitude of intimacy. To pursue a life of significance, a life that means something for eternity, I need to cultivate a passionate desire to be closer and closer to Jesus the longer that I'm saved. Now you establish this relationship At the point of conversion, when you're born again, that establishes your relationship with the Lord. But the maintenance of that relationship, to maintain intimacy, requires an ongoing investment of my time with the Lord, listening to Him, communing with Him in the inner man. It's not enough this morning simply to know about the Lord. Most of America knows something about Him. The question is not, do you know about Jesus? It's, do you know Him? Do you know him for yourself? Are you sure that you've been converted? First of all, are you born again? Do you have an intimate personal relationship with Jesus in that sense? But then beyond conversion, ask yourself this. Do I ever make a priority out of spending time in the presence of the Lord? Getting to know him, allowing him to speak to my heart. You know for sure that you've been converted. If you can say without doubt today, I know for sure I've been converted, then can you say this? I am walking with Jesus on an everyday basis. He's a reality to me. I'm not just hearing his name at church. He's the darling of my heart. I spend time with him on an everyday basis. I'm constantly seeking to be nearer my God to thee. David had some concerns on his heart. He was about to die and leave the ministry to someone else. Others were going to follow him. His own son Solomon and these other leaders described in our text, valiant men and military and and political leaders of the day. David said, listen men, there's some things that are non-negotiable. If you're going to do anything that amounts to eternal, eternal value, you must have an attitude of submission. You must be obedient, but you also must have a passionate desire to be personally intimate with the Lord. He said this Know thou the God of thy father. You know what that means. Basically he said, I want Solomon for my God to be your God too. I know the Lord. I've walked with him. He's been real in my life. This is the man who wrote Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me beside still what? Even if I have to go through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not afraid because he is with me. There's a man who knew something about walking with God intimacy with the Lord and basically in this verse he's saying Solomon I want you to be able to put your name in the blank I want you be I want you to be able to say the Lord is my shepherd too he's not just my daddy's shepherd he's my shepherd he's real in my life well that's what our text is about intimacy know thou the God of thy father and then eagerness the third word I'll give you from these verses obedience that's the That's the the foundation of everything. Without that, nothing else fits. Nothing else works. Intimacy and then eagerness. Verse 9 continues. Know thou the God of thy Father and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. Eagerness, I'm using that phrase. A perfect heart and a willing mind. This has to do with the motive and the attitude behind what I'm doing. My obedience to God and even my spending time with him personally and privately This has to do with the attitude behind it. A perfect heart and a willing mind. The word perfect in this text might put you off a bit. I'm reading from the King James Version. It uses the word perfect. But it's not perfect in the sense of sinlessness. This word is used in the book of Deuteronomy to speak of stones, which were the the, the foundations for an altar, building an altar out of stones. And the Lord said, I want you to use whole stones, W-H-O-L-E, whole stones, uncut In fact, he was very specific. He said, I don't want man's graving tools to touch those stones. I don't want you to cut off any pieces of them or shave them or sand them. Take them just as they are, whole and entire, and pile them up for an altar. Well, that's the word of our text, perfect. So you could could put this word in there, uncut, an uncut heart, an undivided heart. Take your whole heart, David, said to Solomon, take your whole heart and invested in serving the Lord. And of course, when my heart is wholly surrendered, then my mind is willing. A a perfect heart, a whole heart, and a willing mind. The word willing means to take pleasure in something, to want it and to desire it and to love it. When my heart is yielded to the Lord, perfectly given to Him, then my mind finds pleasure in doing what pleases God. David was concerned that his son's attitude be right. You see, you could be in church this morning physically here. That's good. That's obedient. The Bible says let's not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. So here you are in obedience to the command of God. But if your attitude in being here is sour or resentful or bitter or angry, feeling as if God is putting upon you or somehow intruding or interrupting what you'd much rather be doing, then the being here is invalidated. It's not just my back end in a Baptist pew that the Lord wants. He wants my heart to be given to Him to such an extent that I love doing what He wants me to. Perfect heart and a willing mind. I have been preaching in evangelism for 30 years. I just finished my 30th year. This begins year 31 for me. The Lord called me to preach when I was an 18-year-old boy. I just graduated from high school and thought I knew what I was going to do. I had my future planned out and then the Lord Called me to preach. It turned everything upside down for me. I surrendered to preach in September after I'd graduated in May, transferred from Texas A&M to East Texas Baptist College at that time, and from that time to this, my whole adult life I've been preaching. I went into ministry full time when I was 21, and from that time to this, I've been preaching full time. So here I am this morning, still doing, 37 and a half years later, what God told me to do when I was 18 years old. Physically. I'm doing what God told me to do today. But if I was in this pulpit angry about it, not wanting to do it, resentful, then the fact that I've been doing it all these years would mean nothing. You see, it's not the just doing the will of God that matters. It's loving God so much that you want to do the will of God. That it delights you to be in the center of His will and know that you're doing what He wants you to do whining worshipers, murmuring ministers, grudging givers, carping Christians. It's all vain and useless religion in the eyes of eternity. If my heart is not filled with a willingness and a desire and a delight to do the will of God, then I'm wasting my time trying to be religious. When my heart is where it ought to be, then obeying the Lord is my greatest joy. Spending time in the presence of Jesus... It's not a drudgery that I do because I think I ought to. It's a delight. It's a rejoicing. My service to Him is done with eagerness and with gratitude for His immeasurable goodness to me. 1 John 5, 3 says, This is the will of God that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not grievous. When I love God, it doesn't grieve me to do what He tells me to do. Whenever I lose the attitude of willingness that sees serving God as a delight and a joy, then it means that either I'm not saved at all or if I am saved, my heart is no longer perfect with Him. My heart is no longer wholly surrendered to Jesus. I've allowed something to creep in between my soul and my Savior. David wanted his son to realize and remember that the Lord knows not only what we're doing but why we're doing it. You notice what he said to him in verse 9 and 10. He said, serve him with a perfect heart and a willing mind, for the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. I can't fool him. I can fool other people. Others may think of me as a spiritual and surrendered and sold out man, but the Lord's not fooled by appearances. He knows the reality of what's going on in my inner man today. And then we have a copyright infringement. I don't know how Nike's going to settle up, but they owe David because they selected as their corporate slogan, do it, just do it. David said it first in our text. In verse 10, he said to Solomon, take heed now for the Lord hath chosen thee to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it, just do it. What he said to to Solomon concerning how the life of the Christian is to be lived, Now he sums it all up and says, don't try to make excuses, don't try to duck and dodge, just do it. Do what I'm telling you is the right thing to do. Obey God, keep and seek for his commandments. Know God, walk with him personally and hunger and thirst after intimacy with him and serve him with a perfect heart and a willing mind. Just do it. Well, Nike, that's a good slogan. Jonathan Edwards Wrote these resolutions when he was a young man years ago. Brother Case asked me if I had an hour's worth of preaching. Man, I've never had an hour's worth of preaching in my life. I play out in 30 minutes. I'm just done. I don't know. Long winded preachers intrigue me. I run out of juice in 30 minutes, man. I'm just done. I like what old Dr. Uh, Paige Patterson said to his preaching class one day. He said, if, if you're smart enough to preach for an hour, you ought to be smart enough not to. <laughs> Well, I'm not against long preaching. I just run out of gas. Jonathan Edwards said uh, in, in a series of resolutions when he was a young man, he said, resolved that all men should live for the glory of God. Would you say amen? That's a good... Resolved, all men should live for the glory of God. Resolved second. This is where it gets down to cases. Resolved second that whether other men do or not, I will. Well, that's what this passage comes down to. Everybody ought to do this. Everybody who says they're saved, they ought to be sold out to obey God. Everybody who claims to be a Christian, they ought to be walking with Jesus daily, spending time in his presence. Everybody who claims to be Christian ought to be serving God with a perfect heart and a willing mind. That ought to be universal. But the bottom line is I can't do anything about another one in this room except me. I can't do anything about another person's life except mine. So I have to look at a text like this and say, Lord, everybody ought to do this. But whether anyone else does or not, I will. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for these moments with the Bible in hand and these dear folks who've come at this early hour to start this series of Bible conference sessions. I pray, Father, that you would use the Word of God today, this simple text and this simple message,